have three people who are supposed to come up today. Would those three people please come up? I'm asking those three people to come up and pray. Cheryl Hector and Adam Hector and Joan Gibson. At this time, I'd like for all of the children, pre-K through 12th grade, to go to the middle of the aisle, please. Pre-K, if you're going to school in any form this year, college kids, you too. College kids, you too. Go to the middle of the aisle. Now we know that they're returning to school and the parents are so excited. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. But we know that um, what they're embarking on the next 180 days is big. We know that there are temptations that come. We know that education's in a crisis. And so I'm going to ask the congregation to stand up now. And we're going to have a prayer for the students. We're going to have a prayer for the teachers. And we're going to have a prayer for all the support staff, all those custodians and bus drivers and all those people that do all the behind the scenes work today. So I'm going to let Adam Hector have it and we're going to begin praying. I'm assuming so. Yeah, go ahead. All right, uh, let us pray. Father, first of all, just uh, thank you for your son again. Lord, um, as we start our school year, Lord, just be with our administrators, Lord, and uh, be with them. Uh, Give them the strength and give them the patience that they need, Lord, to work with the students. Uh, Lord, be with our teachers. Uh, Lord, just give them the peace and the comfort And Lord, give them the strength that they need each day to deal with everything that a teacher deals with. Lord, just be with them. Um, Lord, it's it's a tough job, as you know, Lord, and you've put special people in place. And Lord, there's some special teachers in here. Lord, just give them the strength each day that the kids can see you in them. Sometimes it's hard, Lord. Just, uh, again, just be with the teachers and administrators, Lord. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I just come before you and ask you that you be with all of the bus drivers and the secretaries and the cooks and the custodians and everybody that is involved in the school and just be with them and help them to um, do your work every day and just be with them and help them guide the kids and just watch over everyone and please keep them safe. Amen. Amen. My gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you, Father with so much hope and joy as I look out in the aisle of the church and see all these wonderful young people. What a blessing you have given our church. I just pray, Father, that you will watch over each and every one of them. Help them as they go back to school. Help people to see Jesus in them. I know there's some of them who are small, but they can still see you in them. And I just pray that you will wrap your arm around them and help them have a great school year and learn and to grow up and be good Christian people and live a life that is pleasing to you. Please take care of them. Help them all have a great school year. And all the little ones that are here too, Father, and the older ones, and I pray pray for Reed. He's still... Not a little kid, but he's still a kid. And when you're at my age, a lot of people are kids. And I just thank you for the blessing of all of them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
Amen. Church, look at that center aisle. Isn't that amazing? Now, before we release the kids to leave, we have a special birthday. Where's Miss Riley at? Now, if you don't know Riley, I don't know why you don't know Riley. But it's amazing to watch her through the eyes of a child worship God in the morning, isn't it? And for a conformist like me, an OCD person, sometimes it does stress me out. But that's how we should worship our God. It's Riley's birthday today, so I want to sing. Riley is very special to everyone at Pleasant Hill and teachers. It's her birthday, and the teachers have learned a lot from Riley, and Riley has learned a lot from her, and Riley has made a complete 360 in her time here at Pleasant Hill in church. And so, Grandma and Grandpa, we thank you for bringing them, Mary. Thank you all for just loving her so much like you have, okay? So let's sing happy birthday to Riley. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Riley. Happy birthday to you. Children, you may be released. Shut the door and lock it, Lindsay. (laughs) Well, we are blessed, aren't we, church? We have two times more children than we had members six years ago. I mean, look at that. That's just amazing. Will you pray with me? I have a sticker up here that says, decrease me, increase him. That's why I'm here today, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just ask that as I speak today, all words that come out of my mouth are clear and fluent and that those who are listening today comprehend and analyze their lives and apply these to their daily walk with you, Father. I ask that you just decrease me and I can increase you at this time. It's in your holy, precious name I pray. Amen. Welcome. That's a, welcome. You can say welcome back. Welcome back. So nice to see you. And this morning I felt a little calm because I didn't see a great big crowd. And then something happened within five minutes. And then I felt really good because the pastor, I thought, okay, he's not coming today because my worst critic is now in the room. So, but it is nice to have our pastor back so that he can earn his money. Um, but um, I'm blessed to be able to do this. I feel blessed I'm able to do this. So last week, I asked you, I talked about, and a week before last, I preached about, it is easier to stay well than to get well. So hopefully in the last couple weeks, you've been trying to stay well, okay? So I know that walk with Jesus is sometimes harder in this old world that we're living in. 
I want you to think about something right now. I want you to think about internal dialogue. Now, for us teachers, sometimes we have to teach that to kids, you know? How do we have an internal dialogue? And if you don't have an internal dialogue, you're in, a, you're, you're in trouble as a Christian because you really need that voice in your head all the time talking about, okay, what am I doing right now in my walk and what am I not doing in my walk and those types of things. But I have some negative internal dialogues written down and I want you to ask yourself, has this ever happened to me? Have I ever said it in my mind or maybe has it even spoken off my lips or have I done some of these things? Number one, someone has wronged me, so I'm gonna start a wildfire of text. Someone has wronged me. They've said something to me. They've done something to my family. They did something at church. I'm gonna text somebody about that. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because almost all of us would have our hands raised. Number two, we don't like a decision that someone has made at work or in the family, or at church, and a full attack begins in our brain because we didn't like that decision. Ever happened to you? Especially dealing with Trevor. You know, that happens. (laughs) Number three, maybe jealousy sets in because we see an acquaintance or maybe even a friend buy another new car this year. And we're like, how'd they buy another car? They just bought another one this this year? Number four, quite possibly you feel personally attacked when a friend doesn't react to you in a certain way. You know, you want the friend to feel sorry for you or you want the friend to be mad with you. You know, you want the friend to think like you do. Has that ever happened to anybody? I'm sure it has. Or have you ever thought, why am I not being recognized for good things I'm doing? They were recognized. Why, weren't, why wasn't I being recognized? Internal dialogue. You know, As we look around, and especially that social media thing, we may be asking ourselves, are we looking at someone else's life, and life just doesn't fit our norm. You know, the way they're living doesn't fit our norm. So gossip sets in, and then when gossip sets in, phone calls are made, and then when phone calls are made, whispering begins, and then whispering begins, assumptions are made. Have we done that? And then my last one, Something or many things have happened in my life. Okay, just piling on. I know some of you can understand this right now. Here's one thing, and here's another layer, and here's another layer, and here's another layer. And in your mind, what are you thinking? What do you got next for me, God? What do you got next for me, God? So all those things are all about four words. I summed it up in attacked. I'm feeling attacked in some way. I'm being misinterpreted in some way. I'm being abandoned in some way or I'm being wounded in some way. Each one of those phrases started with the word I'm, I. It's not God, it's not our story. Whose story is it? Whose story is it? God's story. You know, these are all fleshly desires that happen when we experience those kind of tense circumstances and those tense um, things in our life and we feel attacked. These things happen when we're looking for someone to feel the way that we feel. But you know, God, our Father, is not making us feel paranoid. He's not making us feel jealousy. jealousy. We're allowing the adversary, the devil, to influence the conversations in my head. If you want to turn to it, you don't have to turn to it. But 2 Peter, if you're writing down 2 Peter 2.19 says, people are slaves. So think about what does a slave mean to you? People are slaves of whatever has mastered them. Each one of us have something in life 
that there's a temptation or a trial or something that has mastered us. It may be jealousy, it may be gossip, it may be some type of temptation, but people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Some of you are in the room right now and you're so enslaved in something that it's mastering. These thoughts and actions all start in the mind. My sermon title this week is not going to surprise many of you. Many of you have seen me pull this little book out two or three times, and um, this book has helped me a great deal in my walk. If you notice, it's got lots of ink in it, and if you notice, it falls apart even. And I wrestled this week with a sermon called, Who Am I? That God brought me. God, well, I don't know what God's doing, but he brought me that. But then I had a lot of notes written on things that I had studied in this book. So I decided that my sermon title today is Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at the Table. And it's the study of really Psalms 23. Okay, so we all know Psalms 23, right? We all know who Psalms 23 is. So um, let's talk about who the enemy is. So in your mind, who are you thinking of when you think of the enemy? Who's the enemy? The devil, okay? So we know John 10.10 says the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. What's he, what's he killing? What's the devil killing? Hopes, joy, dreams. He's killing all those things. What's he stealing? Peace, peace, relationships, huh? joy. What's he destroying? Faith, families, relationships, stealing our, destroying our joy. So let's analyze our lives a little bit. Let's analyze our lives and think about how many enemies try to stop or halt your daily pursuit of life. I mean, your daily pursuit of Christ. Think about all the things in your life, all of those things that the enemy brings to you. I shared last night with some good friends what marriage was like the first 10 years at the Kurtois home. It was anger. Something didn't go my way, I broke something. I don't know how many phones we, I threw. I don't know how many car doors I slammed. I don't know how many times that I would just hit or punch the side of the car, okay? So anger, is anger one of those things that are ruling you? Self-doubt? Some of you women are really bad at that. I'm not good enough. I'm not like her. She looks great, her kids look great, her husband looks great, social media, they look great, their house looks great. It's just sick. <laughs> jealousy, jealousy, gossip, excuses, denial, avoidance of things, control, anxiety, or even addictions. I want us to read Psalms 23. If everyone has your Bible, by the way, this is church. If you don't have a Bible, come to see me or Trevor, and we'll get you a Bible. Psalms 23. Turn to it, please. Psalms 23. If you would, everyone stand up in reverence of the Scripture. Now I sound Baptist, don't I? <laughs> Psalms 23, if you read it with me, please, out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. We hear Psalms 23 a lot. When do we hear Psalms 23? Or when do we, when do we hear it a lot? Funerals. Why do we hear this at funerals? Why do we hear Psalms 23 at funerals? It comforts us, doesn't it? In times of death, we go to Psalms 23. In times of despair, we might go to Psalms 23. Why? It comforts us. I want to quickly go through some verses in Psalms 23, but I'm going to mostly present to you one verse. Very first verse says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd, I lack what? Nothing. This says the Lord is. What is? He's present. He's past and he is future. So the Lord is my shepherd. Why does a sheep have to have a shepherd? to guide, to be guided. What do we know about sheep? They're dumb. I'm glad Mrs. McCall is in heaven and not here because we would not say that around her. They need guidance. Do any of you need guidance? We hire a guide when we go somewhere we don't know because we don't know the way and we rely on that guide, don't we? But how often are we relying on God? I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I lack a lot of things. I lack good looks. I lack strength. I lack a lot of the things I want to collect. I lack nice cars and big trucks. I lack a lot of things. That's our mindset, isn't it? But do we really lack anything? No. Today, are our needs taken care of? Yeah. But often we're worried about what? tomorrow. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He'll lead us to places of safety and rest. So he's making me to lie down in green pastures. Anybody been ever so worn out from the world? You just had to lie down, close your eyes and forget it. Yeah. But that only happens if we can trust in him. You know, I'm, I'm hearing people all the time saying, oh, we're trusting in him. I trust God. I trust God. No, we don't trust God when we are trying to figure it out ourselves. We don't trust God when we're trying to figure out how we can make more money this week. And we're not trusting God when we're asking friends for advice. We need to learn how to trust. And trust means to give it sight unseen. He leads me by still waters. Have you ever been by, by still waters? My grandma and grandpa had a little creek that ran through next to their home when I was little, and it was the most magical place in the world. And I would go to that creek because I was that kid who was confused, and I was that kid who was, had a lot of depression. I was that kid who was lonely, and that creek gave me a lot of comfort. That creek was a place that you could go to and play in, and you know, one hour turned into six hours later. God provides that stillness for us. 
He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me across the right paths. Has God ever guided you across the right path? Yeah, he guides you across the right path when, capital W-H-E-N, you allow him to. Dark valleys, anybody ever had them? Yeah, raise your hand if you ever had a dark valley. Raise your hand if you're sick of dark valleys. Mm-hmm. Dark valleys and hard times are all part of those paths that he guides us through. The problem is, is when he's guiding me along the right path for his name's sake, that means we should be glorifying him through those dark times. That comes with maturity and faith, doesn't it? People who are 40 years and older, we can understand that easier than the people who are in their 30s and younger. You know, we've seen God and how he provides in those times of darkness. Even though I walk through the shadow of death, has anybody ever been through the shadow of death? Been through the shadow of death many times, and I'm not just talking about someone physically dying from this earth. I'm talking about times when you were in darkness, times when there was no light, when you could not or you did not grasp on to Jesus Christ. Not just times when your mother went on to heaven, you lost your father, one of your children died. I'm talking about in times of extreme temptation, times of great trials, Maybe there was a diagnosis. Maybe there was a loss. Maybe there was confusion. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. With me. He's our shield. He's our protector. And he's our guidance. Ever had to do something that you didn't want to do? First thing you probably did is ask someone to go with you. Ever do that? Yeah. I remember a couple of years last year at this time, Trevor and I had to make a visit to a home where someone was dying. We had to go together because we needed each other to protect and shield and guide each other. So he's saying here, when King David wrote this, he's saying, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So we need him because he is there for us. You're right in thy staff, they comfort me. And here's the next one. Here's my whole sermon you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And we'll come back to that in a minute. You anoint my head with oil. Now, you know, that was an ancient custom. Years ago, weary travelers would come to a home and the home person um, who owned the home would often rub oil and perfume on those people who were weary travelers to refresh their soul. Has God ever refreshed your soul? Yeah, His anointing just isn't to meet your needs, but it's also ornamental and it gives us delight. It's a blessing. My cup overfloweth. Anybody's cup in here overflows right now? Raise your hand if your cup overflows. Every one of you should have your hand raised up. We just had probably, how many? 50 kids, if not more. Our cup overflows. You know, Phyllis and Alan, you're going through a lot right now. Look what she's got with her great-grandbabies today. Their cup overfloweth, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Sure does. Our households are abundant with blessings from God, aren't they? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Look at that word, all. A-L-L. It will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for. 
ever. Psalms 23, all these things King David wrote about, Psalms 23, all of these things are conditional. So I want you to think, as all good teachers, we worry about vocabulary first. So what does it mean to be conditional? Conditional means, well, we're going to make a deal. We're going to have an agreement. We're going to have a contract. So if I'm buying the house, you're going to give me this. I'm going to give you that. So there's conditions set. See, Psalms 23 is for us, but there's conditions set. It's only if we trust him and accept him. It's only if we accept him and trust him that we can reap the rewards of Christ. He prepares a table for me in the sight of my enemies. That's the book. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. So let's talk about this table. What is the table? And why does he provide this table for me. So I want you to go back, for those of you who are old like me, I want you to go back to grandma's table. I want you to go back to mom's table. And you know what it was filled with, right? It was filled with your favorite things. I want you to go back to a time when you and friends have sat in a restaurant. I want you to go back to a time where you came home from work and your spouse had a table set for you. What did that table represent for you after a long day's work? What did that table mean for you coming to a place with family? What did that mean? Love, what else? Acceptance, peace. When you come home to the table or you're having dinner at grandma's house or in life groups like mine did, we ate every time. Midweek check. We forgot everything else. We didn't have to think about the temptations of the world. We weren't thinking about what was going on in our lives. We were focused on him. So I want you to think about that table. Think about a giant table, and I almost did this. Giant table running all the way across the middle of the church right now, full of your favorite things. For some of you, it's sweets, chocolate, candy. For some of you, it's Hector's good meats and pastas. Or it may be some of the Fegley's good desserts and things like that and all those smoked meats. For those of you, it may be this carbs, just table full of carbs, okay? So I want you to think about that table today as I talk. Think about coming home from a long day's work. Think about those family functions and all the abundance of things. So God prepares us a table. The I am prepared the table for us and we are the, what are we? The I am nots. Prepared for him, for, by him, for you. That table offers three things. Write these down. Peace, clarity, and abundance. Anybody need peace in their life? Anybody need clarity in life and abundance in life? God offers that table to us to commune with him. God offers that table for us to have a relationship with him. This is the place where you and the Savior can have an intimate relationship. You know, the older I get, intimate relationships are more important than anything. Intimacy meant something much different to me when I was 17 than when I'm now 48. I want people in my life that are intimate with me. I want people that I can trust. I want people that 
I can hold on to. I want people that I can share a savior with. And I want people who can be honest and sharpen me. Because what do we know? Iron sharpens iron. This is the place, this table is the place that you commune with God and rest assured in all that he has to offer. This table is freedom. A lot of us are slaves to many things. You're slaves to work. You're slaves to running your children to 54 different things a week. You're slave to your spouse. You're slave to your mother. We're slaves to this world. So the table is a place of freedom. The table is set up. Now listen to this. God puts the table in the epicenter of conflict. In the epicenter of conflict. So that means in the epicenter of a divorce, God's table is there, him sitting there. In the epicenter of my mother's hospital room, the table was there. In the epicenter of a house fire, the table is there. Think about that. He has prepared this table for me in the middle of the hospital room, right in the middle of the divorce, right in the middle of the custody battle, right in the middle of addiction, right in the middle of loneliness. The table is set up to become a righteous, Christ-like parent. Ooh, a Christ-like parent to be a Christ-like spouse, a Christ-like friend, and a servant of God. So next part, in the sight of my enemies. So we got the table. You see the table? It looks great, doesn't it? It feels great to be with Christ. It tastes great. It's abundant. In the sight of my enemies. In the sight of my enemies means the table that's full of comfort and that has that abundant grace has been prepared for me to come and sit at while my enemies are circling that table. Now, if I was with children, here's what I would do. I'd say, boys and girls, get out a piece of white paper. We're gonna visualize. And I want you to sketch this, boys and girls. I want you to draw a big table in the middle of your paper And I want you to draw two circles and I want you to label one of them Jesus and I want you to label the other one me because there's you and Jesus at the table. See the peace, see the abundance, see the joy. Now I want you to draw a circle around all of that and I want you to label it with things that the enemy is bringing to you. Can you see that on a piece of paper? What's around you as you drew that in your head? Hate? Fear? What? Envy. Envy? Anxiety? Doubt? How about grief? Yep. Yep. Huh? Greed. You know, something happened to me Thursday morning in the hotel room, because, you know, I spend half my life in a hotel room. For those of you who know me, know that I'm doing better. I can focus now more on my mother celebrating in heaven than her leaving the earth. 
I got a phone call at six o'clock in the morning from Jennifer Ship telling me that Myra Kay, one of my best friends in the world, died. Automatically, the enemy did what to me? Took me back to January 2nd. And I had to make the decision, my internal dialogue, am I going to make this about me and my grief or am I going to make this about you, Father? Am I just going to be happy that my friend Myra Kay knew you and is in heaven? You have to have that mindset. I control whether or not the enemy sits at the table with me. Have you ever been out to a restaurant and there's someone sitting in the restaurant and you're like, oh, I hope they don't come and bother me because me and my wife have not been to dinner by ourselves in weeks. Yes, I know, honey, it's coming. She texted me Friday. She said, I really could use a dinner with my husband without phones. It's coming. You know, you have, and you're like, oh, don't let them come over here because if they come over here, they're going to sit by us. And it's not that you don't love them. It's just that you want to sit together. You know, you control who sits at the table with you. So now think about that big circle that you have with grief and denial and hatred for yourself and greed, all that. It's up to you if you put them at the table with you. Because I talked two weeks ago about, you know what desires you have, right? Raise your hand if you know what desires you have. You know if you have the desire of lust for other women. You know if you have the desire of lust for other men. You know if you have the desire of food, if you have the desire of of um, didn't greed or self-denial or I'm not good enough or living in the past. If you're living in the past, get over it. Women, you're never going to weigh 120 pounds. I'm never going to weigh 210 again. It's not going to work that way. I'm never going to do Murph again. I'm never going to do a wall ball again. I'm never going to see as well as I used to. We can't get stuck in that. That's an enemy. So you can't invite that because you know what's going to come. Are you prayed up? Are you in prayer and petition knowing what your battles are? You know your enemies. So if your enemies are at the table, whose fault is it? Yourself. My enemies, who are they? I made a little list. My enemies might be someone who wants what I have. There's people like that. You know, I was the fat kid in school. I'll tell you that. Always was. But I also was the kid that was well-liked and I was well-dressed and I probably smelled better than all the rest of the boys and probably could get everybody in the room to agree with me. And I could talk about anything and people would believe what I would say. So what did all those boys do when I got on the softball field or that stupid dodgeball thing <laughs> or wall ball? You know wall ball. You know which kid gets pecked fat last? The fat kid. So it's very easy for people like them to start attacking me because they want what I have. Jesse Pasha, you know you picked on the fat kids. Don't, don't act like you didn't. <laughs> Maybe my enemies, who are they? Maybe it's my own temptations. It's my idols. You know, in Old Testament, we see all these idols built up on big pillars and big bronze idols, and we see concrete idols and all those types of things, and they worship those idols, but we have more idols now than ever. We have idols, huh? 
Yeah, we carry it around. It's even up here. We carry it around. We carry one around. We have cars that cost four more times than the cars we had 20 years ago. We have houses that, you know, that we're, that we're standing idle to because we're spending so much time trying to pay for them that we're not really relying on God or showing God or praising God. There's a lot of idols. You know, my son was an idol for me. There was many times when mm, Sundays were about ball games sometimes. And there was many times where I overbought for him. Poor Miley now, I've learned my lesson. She didn't get as much. I bought and bought and bought because he was the first child. They got to have this, 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 and this, and this. And now I've just got about 50 tubs of that stuff in the basement, all to just rot away someday. So our children become idols. Maybe our family members become idols. Maybe hobbies become idols. Anything that interferes with you and your relationship with God is an idol. I can't allow my idols to sit at the table with the tiniest slip up when you're not in constant prayer and petition. If you're not in constant prayer and petition, that idol will be sitting at your table before you even know it. My enemies are also when you're not on guard and when you already know your temptations like I talked about. We know our triggers. We can allow them to sit at our table when we're not prepared or wearing the full armor of God. I got into that two weeks ago. If we don't have that full armor of God on the full armor of God, not one piece, and we get really good at it. We get certain pieces of it. We get it on, but then there's other parts that we just don't get it all on at the same time, and this is when an enemy comes and sits at your table. It's the thoughts of inadequacy. The men in the room don't want to say this, but that's one of our biggest enemies. We can't make enough money for our family. We can't look a certain way. We can't be tough enough. We can't, in a row of men, we want to look the best. We want to be the best. We want to spend the most. I paid $280 for a wagon one night due to wanting to be the best. Someone in this church was bidding against me. <laughs> it's insecurities. The, the enemies are when we get caught up in an off-color joke at work. How easy is that? Woo! Or when you get caught up in a text thread pretty soon, it's one off-color joke and then another and then it's happening again and again, and then you're taking part. Before long, you're looking at it, and you're so convicted that you're sick to your stomach. I was driving along the highway the other day, and a very good friend of mine was driving next to me on 44, and before I even started a texting thread, I thought to myself, I've got to watch everything I'm saying or doing right now because this person needs Christ in his life, and I say something that's not Christ-like, he could use that against me. So I had to make sure that the enemy didn't get in. I had to make sure that I wasn't talking 35-ish and uncoolish. It's when we might not wear our Christian gear. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you haven't done this, some of you men. You won't wear a certain hat because, oh, I'm going to the steakhouse and there's a table of men there that they might not 
like what I have on or they are so insecure about their faith or they have no faith and they'll make fun of me because even as big boys, we still don't want to be made fun of. Where is the enemies? Maybe it might even be the tension that comes along with sharing the word of God with your family. Ever been there? Yeah. One of the people that I love the most in the world. It's the hardest to share with him. Last part of my sermon today, I wrote resolution in true teacher fashion. All stories have resolutions at the end, right, Shirley? So I'm talking right now the resolution. So today, I'm going to ask you, have you joined him at the table lately? Have you communed with him lately? Have you relished in all that he has to offer? And I want you to think about that word relish. When I think of the word relish, I think of just true enjoyment, okay? So I think of relishing in a big old white cake and white icing. Anybody that really knows me knows. White cake and white icing. I relish in it. Have you relished in all that God has to offer lately? Or have you been allowing the enemy to sit at your table for too long? Remember 2 Peter 2.19 People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. I'm asking you today, what has mastered you? You know, in Daniel 3, Daniel 3, we know that there's some old guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3, I'm going to start at 16. I'm going to give you a second to go there if you want to. We should since we're in church. Daniel 3, 16, here's Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo. They know about the fiery furnace. They know about the image of gold. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not deliver us from it, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So I'm asking you today, as some people come up, does your faith inflate? Does your faith inflate in times that the enemy is circling the table. Have you been paraphrasing Psalms 23? I want you to listen to a paraphrased Psalm 23. This may be your life. Listen to this. I am my own shepherd. Have you been guiding yourself around? And I am a mess. I don't have everything I need, that's for sure. I wouldn't know still water if it was standing right at me. I haven't taken rest in a green pasture for quite a while now. I don't walk along paths of righteousness, but I know what, but I know what fear and evil are. I seek comfort wherever I can get it. I can't stand my enemies. I want to hurt them. My cup definitely overflows... I'm full of anger, consumed by angst and sorrow and rage. 
I'm so full, I easily spill over. I'm packed so tight, it doesn't take much time for me just to explode. I don't know what's going to follow me all the days of my life, but I can tell you this one thing, my soul, not so great. Don't allow the enemy to take a seat at your table. Don't allow yourself to listen to a killer. If you want faith that doesn't wilt under pressure, if you want faith that flourishes when the pressure is on, I'm going to beg you to come to him today. If you would please stand with me today. As music begins, I want you to do a reflection. I want everybody just to close their eyes. I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture that drawing that you sketched out just now. And I want you to think about all of the enemies in your life, like the one right now telling me not to step out this far out because it was safe back there. I want you to think about those enemies, and I want you to think how you can tell them enemies they're not sitting at your table. Today, if you need to make a decision, a decision that you've never made to come to Christ, because you can't come to Christ until you've made that decision. You can't sit at the table until you've made that decision. You just need to make a decision that, man, you have just been stuck in mud and mire for too long because I've been seeking comfort in everything but who I know I need to take comfort in. I want you to come front today. I want you to pray. Someone will pray with you. If you have to, just lean on somebody next to you. Grab someone that you love because we're all in the same boat here. Go ahead.